You might know her on Instagram as Olive Eats, but there's so much more to this woman than what you see on social media. I love this episode, and I hope you do too. Let's do this. Welcome to I Am All This, a podcast about what it means to take care of your whole self and show up fully present here now. I'm your host, Kate Hurley, and this episode is brought to you by my app, Kate, which delivers movement and meditation classes right there to you wherever you are. If you're looking to increase strength and resilience, as well as compassion for yourself, visit kateherley.com or start my 14-day free trial. You can also search for my name spelled K-A-I-T in the app store. So everything we discuss on this podcast is about you, but it's also much bigger than you. My hope is that in every single episode, what comes through is the fierce power of love and how deeply connected we are to each other and to the environment. Today's guest is Olivia Noseda. Olivia is a content creator, meditator, and speech-language pathologist. In our conversation, we talk about anxiety, what a real-life meditation practice looks like, how to use social media mindfully and in a way that brings you joy, and so much more. After this conversation, I wanted to be best friends with Olivia, so I'm curious if you feel that way too. Here's our show. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Hi, Kay. Thank you for having me. I feel really honored to be here. This is going to be so fun. Oh, well, okay. So I want to dive in and just give people an introduction to you because so many of us know you through social media, through your Instagram platform that you share about your life, but kind of what, what got you to this point? Oh my gosh, everything. <laughs> I know that's a big question, but um, you know, I I've I'm a little familiar with your story, just what you've shared on your blog about some of the struggles that you've had during college and kind of finding your way as a as a young professional. Yeah, so what got me to this point, like I said, is pretty much everything, living my life, but It definitely started in college. I think I was just talking to a friend yesterday about how uneducated I was in terms of eating habits and eating disorders and the types of people I surrounded myself with in college and kind of how unhealthy my habits were. And when I graduated college, I went back home for a year to get my second bachelor's degree in communication science disorders. And I was living with my mom And I decided to train to become a yoga teacher, which kind of just kickstarted me in a lot of ways. It allowed me to understand myself physically and gain this really amazing physical awareness within my body that allowed me to realize that the way I was living uh, was somewhat unhealthy. And I started Olive Eats just as a side hobby, honestly. I grew up doing theater and um, acting and singing my entire life. And so I decided, why don't I try being creative in another medium because I'm out of school and I really don't have this outlet. And so I just started cooking food and posting it. It kind of, you know, 
I think back then influencing wasn't really a thing. There was food blogging and a few people were maybe making money food blogging, but otherwise we were just kind of all out in the wild, wild west doing our thing. And I met really amazing people. I was on Instagram as a, as a, you know, quote recipe developer for about nine months. And I loved it. I started to recognize, you know, what I was putting in my body. And through that, you know, I was also yoga teaching. So I was eating healthier and practicing mindfulness at the same time. And it kind of just all came together. And then in 2017, I took a 15-month Instagram hiatus. So at this point, I was living in Portland um, and where you live, and I was living alone. I had just moved there for graduate school, and I became so depressed. Um, I was totally living my life through an online world, and I realized that I needed to get out and be social and connect with people in real life. And I wasn't making money doing Instagram, so it was just kind of another really big hobby that was taking a lot of my time while being a graduate student and trying to earn my master's. So I took a 15-month hiatus in that time and did not even realize how important that was for me to come back to myself in a bigger and better way. And over the time, I studied Buddhism. I got more into working out, more into yoga, realizing that the way I had been eating before was actually not mindful. And I kind of just transformed into the person I am today. Um, and then I decided to move back to Los Angeles in 2018. I hope I'm getting these years right. In 2018, I moved back to Los Angeles with my master's degree. And I was waiting for my license to come in as a California speech language pathologist and just decided, why not? I'll go back online, see what happens. And it really just came from a super authentic place. I was like, I want to start posting not only food, but I want to post about anxiety and depression and meditation and Buddhism and the things that I've studied and the things that I've experienced and learned. And now it is what it is today, which is a really uh, wonderful and amazing journal of my life, um, a lifestyle journal blog, if you will. And I am so blessed to be able to call it my full-time job. And so I guess that's how I got to where I am today. I know it's a really long answer. Yeah, no, that's perfect. There's so many good pieces of information there. And I want to actually start with, you know, when you mentioned that you first kind of took that 15 month break from Instagram, when you were feeling really depressed, what you, you talked about that you realized that you actually weren't being healthy during that time. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, of course. So I think what happened, which tends to happen in this day and age with the idea of millennialism and all of us being online all of the time, we kind of get caught up in not only comparison traps, but we get caught up in what everyone else is doing. And so when I started my Instagram, I was just kind of gaining the knowledge of how to eat healthy and how to be mindful about my eating. What it turned into was me trying to eat other foods that I was seeing other blogs eat and recipes that they were making and then um, grasping onto certain trends. So I think like one of the trends at the time was not eating bananas because bananas had too much sugar. And so I, I loved bananas. I had a banana every day with peanut butter and I stopped eating bananas because I was afraid of the sugar content. And there's just a lot of information online that I think we can become inundated with 
that we don't realize we're becoming inundated with. And what happens is we start to grasp onto those trends or those ways of eating or those lifestyles and those diets without realizing we're doing it. And so when I got offline and took myself away from looking at what other people were eating and what other people were doing, I found that I'm a very routine eater. I just like toast and eggs in the morning. And I, you know, started to eat a little bit later in the day rather than very early. I hate oatmeal now. And I I was so obsessed with this idea of eating oatmeal and it never really made me feel that good. But like oatmeal was totally trending back in 2017. And so when I took myself off of the offline, I had nowhere else to look but within. And that was a really powerful, powerful moment for me. Beautiful. Is that also when you found mindfulness was when you got more serious with your meditation practice during that time? I think so. I have always, my mom converted to Buddhism when I was about 16 or 17. So I've always had a little uh, background as to what mindfulness is and, and, you know, quote, how it works. But I really got into it um, when that happened. I think I had been set up for success with my mom and with yoga teacher training. But when I got offline and really found that I hold everything inside of me, I think that's when the mindfulness kind of came in. I had nothing else to rely on. And it became, it became, um, it became almost necessary for me to practice mindfulness because I did feel somewhat isolated leaving my online world. Um, And so I do think that's when it came in. I just think that I had prepared for a long time before because I think that mindfulness is not easy. I still struggle with it. I think it's, it's a practice and, and it's something that needs to be worked on every single day. Yeah. One of the things that I really love just following along in your community is when you share bits and pieces of your meditation practice and how you remind us and you normalize how it's completely fine to have thoughts and to let attention wander and to feel like you want to jump at us out of your skin during your practice. Totally. And I think to me, that's the crux of meditation. The crux of the entire thing is sitting with the shit and hopefully I can cuss on here. Um, if not, tell me, (laughs) um, but it really is sitting in the shit and and letting it come up and letting it bubble you and boil you up and letting it make you mad and then practicing that letting go. I think that's the point of meditation. But what happens is because of what we see online and possibly what we read, we think that we have to have this perfect practice day one or day 15. I'm on day you know, 800 and I there are still days where I don't get more than two seconds of pure silence and that's okay. And those are sometimes my best days. Uh, And so I think to normalize the practice of meditation and to normalize the fact that it is a practice that we all struggle and that honestly, unless you're living in a Buddhist monastery with absolutely no distractions and focusing on meditating 24 hours a day, eating minimal meals, wearing minimal clothes, not being, um, associated with normal life, it's, it's never going to be perfect. And I don't even think for, for monks, it's perfect. No, I don't think it's perfect for monks either. My teacher's husband, um, his name is Jim Carson. He was a Swami for 
um, over, I think it was about 17 years, but, and he, he also, I'm sure experienced that. I like to hear stories of his time living at the ashram, but, um, but yeah, I love so much of what you said here. And so I want to slow it down and say it again, because I think this is the missing piece. And this is what so many people get bummed out about and why they quit before they even let themselves begin. So you said um, that now you've been practicing for over 800 days and you still have all of these thoughts. And, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people is you wouldn't try to run a marathon without training, you know? So the first couple of times that you sit down, or if you're like me, um, it took me a year before I even really felt like I could connect with the practice. I'm a very slow learner. Um, but it's, it's just, we've got to give ourselves time and we've got to notice the expectations that we have and these false ideas that we have and be aware of them, but not let them drive us or else we'll never feel successful meditating and we'll miss the entire point of the practice, which is to be present with whatever's arising now. Absolutely. And to come back to that presence, you know, and I posted something about that a few days ago. I read this beautiful quote that talked about the idea. It's really not staying present. It's, it's for me, at least it's having those moments of anxiety come in or, you know, thoughts come in. And then how do I get back to the present? Um, and to me, it's not about being perfect. It's about failing. And so I totally appreciate what you say. And I think exactly when you talk about not training, when you run a marathon, I mean, even look at Olympic marathon runners, not only are they training massive amounts during the week, because I have a friend who was just in the Olympic trials and I cannot believe her schedule of training. She freaking died during the trials. I mean, those, she was amazing, but she was in pain the entire time and she was struggling the entire time. And for her, it's about when it comes to running, it's about pushing through and it's about not letting your mind get the best of you and coming back to, okay, I'm on pace or, okay, why don't I slow down a little bit, but I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and I'm going towards the finish line. And I think that's, it's so beautiful and it's so humbling to watch professional athletes, especially something like a marathon run, which is to me, it's, you know, I mean, it's physicality, but it's so much a mind game to watch that they still struggle. And it doesn't mean that they stop their practice, you know? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I personally, you know, I love that you use a running metaphor because I'm, my background's in distance running. I used to be a competitive division one runner running 90 miles a week, and I would go out on a run and just be uncomfortable the whole time. But, um, you know, that was part of the training. That was part of the conditioning to get stronger, stay, pre you know, experience a discomfort, muscles come back, build back up, and, you know, you build your strength and endurance that way. But I do want to just touch upon, go back to something that you said around coming back to being present and how for you it's about failing. And I, I love, I love that you're celebrating the failing. Um, but I wonder, I, I just want to have a conversation about that because I think it's really cool to look at that as 
as failing and celebrating that. But something that I just learned from my teacher last year is that as your steadiness, as your attention begins to stabilize more, you're actually going to become aware of the times when the mind wanders more often. So actually, the more you become aware of when the mind wanders is a sign that your practice is in fact deepening. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Oh, well, thank you. I could talk to you about meditation all day. And I love, you know, just the way that you share on Instagram. Um, like even today, you posted something about the ocean and how the water stirs up sand, but that, you know, that return to stillness and clarity when the sand settles and the ocean stops churning, you know, that is always there. And I think that right now, given these uncertain times, given the fact that we're in the midst of a national emergency, you know, it's really important to remember that even though these feelings of fear and anxiety are here, and they're very dense and prominent, that that calmness, that stillness, that love, the kindness, the joy, the contentment, like that's also here. Oh, absolutely. And I think, oh, I could say so much to what you said. I love this conversation. Um, You know, first and foremost, to the idea of, you know, failing and, and like you said, being it's, it's the self-awareness of knowing when you're, when you're, you know, thoughts are taking over. It's been so interesting getting deeper into my practice and knowing when I have I have days that my thoughts just take me over. Um, and being able to understand it, note it, and then come back to being present has been so helpful in my daily life. And I think that's what meditation has done for me in general in my daily life, is especially in this time of uncertainty and a national emergency and pandemic, we tend to easily get swallowed up by fear. As, as anyone would. I think it's very natural. And there have been so many moments for me where I've become anxious. And there have been so many moments for me where I've had to stop and say, why are you letting these feelings overtake you? What is in front of you right now? Where are you right now? And it's this idea for me of transience of, like you said, you know, how I posted today about the ocean churning up sand, but always coming back to this clear and, and transparent state we as a culture and we as humans and uh, water and the trees, the leaves that grow on them, we are constantly in a state of transience. So things are constantly changing. And when we have that, um, I think when we let go of the control uh, or the idea that we can control the change, we start to become one with it. And we start to say, okay, here I am. This is what's happening in front of me. And then, you know, whether or not your thoughts take you away, you can pull yourself back and say, how am I doing right now? What can I be grateful for right now? And and bringing your point in of where there is fear, there is also joy. You know, where there is, where there is pain, there is also happiness. And so I think that knowing that and understanding that and saying, if I can pull anxiety, if I can pull fear, if I can pull any bad negative emotion, I can also pull grace and I can pull happiness and I can pull laughter. And I think for people to realize that those 
emotions are all readily available to us. And to be able to sit down and create a practice, a meditation practice that allows you to know when you're deviating um, those those positive feelings or or I like to say the, the equanimity, the equal feelings, the equilibrium, that's when it starts to become um, more constant in your life. Does that make sense? I know that was kind of wordy. What you're saying is when you can become aware of kind of the negative aspects of your experience or the negative feelings, then that helps you to also remember the the bigger picture or the other feelings as well? Exactly. So it's just saying that where there's negative, there's also positive, right? Where there's good, there is bad. And so when we when we feel the bad coming in, how can we say, okay, here, here I am, here are the bad emotions um, coming in, coming into my, you know, mind, how can I shift that? And so I think it's just a mind shift. Yeah, interesting. I, 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 I definitely identify with parts of this, the way that it's been explained to me, is thinking about how attention can get locked in to very specific aspects of our experience. So, you know, it's like when attention gets locked into um, something that's happening in the news or a certain emotional current, like a fear or anxiety, the mind gets focused and fixated on that one aspect of experience. And then we just narrow our focus and we forget that anything else exists. So one of the practices that I've been working on over the past six or so months is when I notice my focus getting locked in and fixated on one thing, how can I soften the lens of attention and expand it to also notice other things like my breath or the love that I have for my cat? You know, so um, it's not necessarily about shifting the mind. Well, I guess it does shift my mindset for sure, but it helps me to just remember that there's more things happening than this one thing that is pissing me off or giving me a hard time or making me worry. Totally. And my mom used to call that when I would get like that because I suffer, you know, from anxiety and I I suffered pretty bad in college. And my mom would say, you're catastrophizing the situation, you're catastrophizing the situation. And so I think what happens, like you said, is we narrow ourselves to the experience of, you know, feeling negative or feeling anxious. And sometimes we just forget to look up, or we forget to look out. And we don't realize that there's an up and an out from from our narrow lens. And so I think that's a really beautiful thing. And, And that's why too, I have such a strong gratitude practice. Because I do think waking up in the morning and thinking of five things I'm grateful for and writing them down allows me to remind myself that there is so much good in my life, Uh, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, my dog or, or my morning coffee or just the fact that I slept well the night before. There's so much in a 24 hour day that we have to be grateful for that doesn't have to do with these things that are necessarily monetary, you know? Beautiful. And isn't that crazy how clear that is right now, given that we're in the midst of the coronavirus? But I'm curious if you would share a little bit about your relationship with your anxiety now and maybe how it shifted from when you were in college to now, to this point. 
I think it's very similar actually to the way that you described what you've been working on the last six months, um, which is what I've been working on with various teachers and mentors uh, for the last, since I've been in college, which I don't even know how long ago that was, six or seven years. Um, You know, I'll, I'll briefly explain how anxiety manifested for me when I was a little bit older. My family uh, suffers, various members of my family suffer from very intense generalized anxiety. And I just kind of always assumed that the genes skipped me and I was happy and things were fine, but I knew that I always felt a little bit uneasy. Um, I'm, I'm an empath, so things have always affected me very deeply and very greatly. And I had a hard time accepting that in my younger years because I didn't feel it appropriate to cry or to show emotion because I felt like I had to be strong for the close people around me who were suffering very outwardly. But when I got to college and was able to leave my home base, I started to realize and in in combination with, you know, drinking and, and new sexual experiences and all of these things that college brings, I started to realize that I was, I suffered from the same, um, the same, I I don't like to use the word issues, but I started to suffer from anxiety. So I would narrow my focus on a specific experience and blow it out of the water. Um, And that's kind of how my anxiety started. It would be, you know, whether I, whether it was, had something to do with a boy, whether it had something to do with schoolwork or with nothing at all. And I think that's sometimes the craziest thing is that you don't even know why you're anxious I would narrow my focus on feeling terrible and and then coming up with worst case scenario of what was going to happen as a result of why I was feeling anxious. And so through, uh, through therapy and through yoga teacher training and studying uh, Buddhism and just spirituality in general, I started to become focused on, like you said, coming out of that tunnel coming out of that tunnel vision. And uh, I think for me, where I'm at with my anxiety now is I still have it. I always will. And I think the first part is acceptance. Um, Acceptance and grace is for me are the two most important first steps. So understanding and being open um, to myself, to both myself and others and saying, I do suffer from anxiety. I'm I'm a quite an anxious person. Uh, it does not affect who I am. It does not affect my worth. It does not affect whether or not I am able to love or to be loved. But I am quite anxious. And then giving myself grace and saying that's okay. Uh, that's who you are. It's a part of you. It shapes you. It's it's part of the reason that I'm so caring uh, for others. It's part of the reason that I'm able to run uh, a business and also work another job. There's a lot of things that it does for me that's good. And so I think those those two things have really helped. And those are what I really focus on in the beginning of, uh, of my anxiety at this point in my life. Um, and then I would say where I'm at now is the my gratitude practice has helped me immensely. And being able to mindfully move through life through meditation and through having self-awareness through, through those meditative practices has been incredibly helpful. So I have a morning routine and I have a nightly routine. I meditate both in the morning and in the evening. Um, And that, you know, that's not 365 days a year, but it's, it's pretty close. 
And I do things that make me feel good that I know make me feel good. I set boundaries for myself. I've become, I would say I've become pretty good at trusting my gut and listening to my intuition. And I think that's um, a big part of that, of my confidence of listening to my intuition has come from that self-awareness through meditation and knowing when I don't feel right about something and knowing when it would be better for me to step away. So I think all of these um, practices that I've implemented in my life have allowed me to really come to a place of peace with my anxiety. I would say I'm at a, I'm at a great place with it, but there are still times where it feels really chaotic. And even in the, the, the state that the world is in now with coronavirus and um, as, as I'm sure you're feeling these ramifications as well, you know, owning your own business and having to deal with whether or not it's going, you know, losing, losing money and gaining money and whatever it is, I'm having to focus on the bigger picture and I'm having to focus on the bigger things. How can I be of service to others who are hurting more than I am right now? How can I be of service to myself by allowing myself to understand that there's so much for me to be grateful for, aside from the fact that business is hurting? So if that if that answers your question, I would say that's where I'm at right now with my anxiety. Um, yeah, I'm deeply moved and just nodding my head here. And I'm sure so many of our listeners can see themselves in what you shared. What I'm particularly inspired by is just how you describe how your relationship has shifted with it and how you've made your way from kind of being knocked by it to being able to accept it fully, which I think is such a massive gift and takes a tremendous amount of practice and skill. But um, I'm really relieved that you said, yeah, I still have it because I can't tell you how many emails I get every month where people just write in and they're like, hi, Kate, will my, will your app make my anxiety disappear? Uh I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Don't buy it. (laughs) Please don't buy it. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the best part is being able to accept yourself for everything. And I think it's that letting go of the fact that you can control what you want yourself to look like. And just saying, this is who I am, where you fall into this really nice place of ease and you can say, nope, this is just me. And then allowing, and then I think with that, that's when you start to realize, oh, I'm such a caring person because I have anxiety about A, B, and C, you know, and then you realize how much good your anxiety actually does for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love how you bring up, especially now how you just feel like you're in this space of how can I be of service? You know, how can I really support other people? How can I not cause harm to myself or to anyone else? And, you know, imagine the power if we all shifted that, um, especially now. But it's it's funny, it's like 2020 is the year of clear vision and it is just impossible to ignore how deeply connected we are. And how we all need to step up and and be of service. So thank you for sharing that part of your your life and of yourself. I'm sure that's going to help a lot of people. And thank you for for being of service to others. I mean, your entire life's work is being of service and creating modules and creating um, 
creating methods for people to learn how to meditate and to feel good in their bodies. And that is so inspiring to me. I'm, I'm very, I'm very honored to be able to have this conversation with you. Oh, same. Thank you. Well, I'm really curious because, um, you know, what Instagram is also another place that is the wild west. Uh, what does it look like for you to have a healthy, mindful relationship with Instagram? Oh, well, it takes a lot of work. I'll tell you that much. Um, It is very challenging. It is doable. But I would say that, um, well, I have to say my 15th month hiatus from Instagram taught me a lot. And the, the biggest thing it taught me was that life goes on without social media. I think that it's very difficult to see that as possible um, in this day and age and as a millennial and with you know many of my other millennial friends who use social media for so many good things. And I'm sure that your audience and the people who are listening to this use social media for good and it's wonderful. But it's also possible to live a life of service and to live a happy joyous, fulfilled life without being on the internet. So I don't recommend that everybody leave the internet for 15 months like I did, but I also think that allowing yourself significant breaks from the internet to prove that you have things going on outside of scrolling on Instagram is so important because it really teaches you that you don't need it. When I came back from that break, and even now it's been a year and a half since I've come back, I am still able to hold on to that ideal that life will be good if I put my phone down. Um, And honestly, almost even better. You notice things you would never notice if you are able to look up from your phone for just five minutes. So for me, it's really about creating a schedule and a routine around Instagram. Now, you know, Instagram is my job. So I, I think there's, there's good and bad to that. It allows me to create a work, a work routine around Instagram. So, you know, getting up, engaging in the morning, posting in the morning, and then getting off for the afternoon. But also it's hard because I like to engage with my audience at all times. And I also like to be scrolling. I like to be knowing what's in the know and what's happening and who's eating what and who's dating who and all of these things. So I would say the the best way for me personally, and I, and I think it's a great way for someone to start if they feel like social media is taking over their life, is to create a routine. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like intuitive eating. So it's intuitively using your phone, but also backing off a little bit when you know you need to. And I, I think that it's, it can be harsh at first, and then you slowly start to get the hang of it. But for me, it's like, okay, I wake up at 530 every day, I know that I'm going to meditate and I'm going to drink my coffee and have my 10 minutes of silence before I touch my phone. And that's a rule I set for myself. Um, And it's a simple rule. It's a rule that I can abide by. So it's not like, all right, I'm going to wake up at 530 and I'm not going to text anybody or talk to anybody until 10 a.m. It's it's just five minutes. It's just 10 minutes. It's totally doable. And obviously, if something comes up, I allow myself grace and I, you know, hop on the phone with a friend or my mom if they need me at that time. But so for me, it's my morning routine and then saying, okay, 
full free reign of Instagram from 7.30 to 10.30 on the days you're doing Instagram work. And then I just go for it. And I have fun, but I'm mindful about it. So mindfully scrolling, mindfully and intentionally commenting on people's posts, constantly going through who I'm following and making sure that the people that I'm following bring me joy and bring me uh, nothing but good vibes. I am, I'm on my followers list probably every week, making sure that I am still continually following the people that make me feel good. And then saying, okay, I'm going to get off for lunchtime, 30 minutes without my phone. Um, every Monday night, I actually do put my phone away for, you know, one to two hours kind of depending. Um, but that's my Monday night thing. So Monday night at 7 p.m. I put my phone away from 7 to 9. And that's something I've just implemented into my life. And I don't use my phone for two hours a day. And so many people are surprised by the fact that I'm able to do that. But I think that it's totally possible if you set your mind to it. But I would say if you're going to be on social media, and if you create these little routines for yourself, where you're off your phone and on your phone, it's a really nice schedule to create. But just be intentional when you are online. Be intentional about who you're following, who you're communicating with. Um, I would say, you know, stopping and thinking about how certain posts make you feel. So there's certain posts and certain food recipes and words that don't make me feel right. If I start to feel kind of yucky, I'm going to stop and think about it and kind of, you know, take a step back. Am I following this person for the right reasons? Is this bringing me joy? So I'd say just intentionally going through and maybe even having a list, you know, like my list is, is this person bringing me joy? Is this post or is this food item making me feel like I'm having to compare my life to this person's life? Those are like my two top things that I look at when I'm going, when I'm going through social media. And so I think just being intentional about it is the most important part. It's really difficult to get off of our phones. And especially when you're on, uh, social distancing lockdown, I've seen a massive rise in engagement. And I think a lot of us are on social media right now, but a lot of us are mindlessly scrolling. So I think it's just going from mindless to mindful. And that's the best way to go about it, especially in this day and age where it's almost needed for a lot of jobs and to communicate with people. Totally. And, you know, I meditate and practice all of these things as well. And I'll be in line at the grocery store and reach for my phone. And I don't even make the decision before I open the app to use Instagram. Right. And so just like, for me, it's been a practice of like, okay, well, noticing that times that I just reach for the app without making it a conscious choice. That's super helpful, you know, to make sure that the people you're following are bringing you joy, or, you know, not making you feel ashamed. I guess nobody makes you feel that way, but you know what I mean? Like whatever's arising in you is actually serving you and not causing harm by following this person. Absolutely. And I would say too, my, my big thing when I got back to, on Instagram was just not going on my explore page. Um, because your explore page comes out of nowhere. And those are accounts that you don't follow. And those are people and things and diets and lifestyles that you're becoming inundated with without, without opting in. Um, and I would say that if you're looking for just a really simple way to, to heighten your social media experience, don't click the explore page. Try to go on Instagram and stay on your feed. And when you've seen all of your posts, when Instagram says you're checked up on all your posts for the day, get off. You don't have anything else to do. Nice. Nice. 
the one other thing that I found, I started doing this maybe three years ago, is just making sure that my feed looked like um, people in the world look, you know, not making sure that I'm following all one type of person or all one, um, every, but only people who look like me or, you know, only people who are super thin and eating, uh, you know, whatever latest trend is for breakfast. Um, that's really, that's really helped me feel more connected and feel like I'm having a better experience on the platform. Oh my gosh, totally. I think that's incredibly important that you bring it up. And I would say too, it allows for so much more knowledge and it allows you to be educated in, in things that you may not personally have had education on because it does not pertain to your particular demographic. And it's so important for me to follow those who don't look like me and those who live different lifestyles than me because it allows me to be a more well-rounded person. It allows me to have compassion and grace for people who don't have the things that I have or don't look the way that I look. And it allows me to put myself on the same playing field as them and say, we're all one, we're all the same, and we can all be connected. And that's the beautiful thing about social media is that what we have that our parents didn't have and what we have that, you know, that we didn't have even 10 years ago is this ability to connect with all different types of people. And so to, to allow yourself that privilege of connecting with those who are different than maybe you're going to be exposed to if you are just following someone who looks just like you, that's you taking, taking a really good step in the right direction, I think, to allow yourself to be educated and well-rounded. Yeah, absolutely. And just making sure, yeah, that we're paying attention. So uh, I have a question about how you decide what to post and what to protect. Okay. Um, I guess <laughs> just how do you make, I guess I should just ask the question, but how do you make that decision? You know, you're so... Um, you know, you're so vulnerable and open, but you also aren't bleeding all over the place and it's not a call for help. Do you know what I mean? Like there's that, that difference and that fine line of sharing enough of your story and what you're going through in the moment without um, just being an open gaping wound. Totally. Uh, it's hard, but yeah. Well, let me see how I, I, I don't even know how I decide. Um, I think the first thing is that it, it kind of comes with the level of vulnerability you're comfortable with. And so I have just reached a certain level of, of vulnerability that I'm comfortable sharing with people. I will say that, um, okay. I will say that the first law I abide by is not sharing about others without their consent. So that's the first thing. I never shared about my ex-boyfriend because he personally did not consent to be online on my platform. And I would never, ever disrespect that. Um, I try not to share too much about my relationship with my parents unless they feel, unless they're informed about what I'm going to share to the world because they have friends who follow me and they have jobs to protect their own, um, their reputation. And that goes for friends and, and you know, all, all of that. 
when it comes to my own stuff, when it comes to my own um, struggles and and uh, triumphs and tribulations, I try to share things in a way that people can resonate with without going too into detail and without getting too sad. I think that I'm, I'm a very emotional person and I'm, I think I said this earlier, but I am an empath. So if it were up to me, I mean, my platform would just be like ocean pictures all day and be like, I was sobbing yesterday because this happened and my mom said this and I said this. And I mean, it would be my journal. It would literally be my journal and that's not okay. Um, And so what I try to do is I try, I journal as much as I can. And what I try to do is pull from those journal entries. So essentially I have, you know, for example, a a journal entry that had to do with how I was feeling about coronavirus and how I was feeling about the idea that there's just a lot of anxiety and fear among the human population right now. And I talked about my own fears in my journal. I talked about my own struggles with the people who are around me and people that I don't agree with and people I'm frustrated by, et cetera, et cetera. And then what I did this morning in terms of posting was I I generalized it. So I just took how I was feeling and put it in a more general uh, general form and allowed allowed for more resonating through through communities where everyone can kind of resonate with what I'm saying um, while still be feeling like I can share my emotions. So. I didn't share the, I didn't say the word coronavirus because I really don't think it's fair for me to talk about that right now. I'm I'm not a, you know, I'm not a disease specialist and and I don't think it's my place, but I am feeling feelings and I think other people are too. So that's kind of how I go about sharing without getting too personal or too sad. And then too I like to say okay, I'm only going to share so if there's seven days out of the week, I usually try to reserve three days to get deep and then four days to just be chill and to like share food and share, oh, I'm just at a coffee shop today. I hope everyone's having a good day because I think that people enjoy and um, can resonate with hard stuff. But I also think that there's a lot of negativity, not even negativity, but there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of feeling swirling around. I think a lot of people who follow me are probably empaths as well. So I like to be able to give them something nice and something easy to look at more often than not. And I guess that's how I go about sharing. And then I would say, you know, my hard no's are other people's lives, my dating life. I don't really like to share about that. That's totally personal for me. Um, And gosh, I I really do share a lot. I guess that's about the only things I don't share at all. It sounds like you kind of put it through this filter of, well, how can I be in service to the community? You know, I have these feelings, you're kind of aware of what might be happening in the collective. And honestly, you, you are like everybody's best friend on social media. Like that's how I think about you and your community is so strong and so um, wonderful But yeah, just going back to that being of service, like if there's an aspect of my experience that maybe people can relate to or learn from, or maybe they can just feel less alone looking at, um, that is my perception being part of your community on the other side. I appreciate that. And that's really what I try to foster. I think I grew up 
being bullied. And I kind of grew up as the kid that was just nice to everybody because I knew what it felt like to, to be pushed around. And so I try to foster a community that makes everyone feel like they can come on and just be like, I know this girl, I know her. And even though she's not telling me exactly what she did last night or exactly, you know, what's going on in her deep personal life, I know enough to be able to say she's a friend. And I really appreciate you saying that because that's essentially what I'm trying to foster. And and as you are trying to serve people, I'm trying to serve people. It's my main goal of this page is to be of service to others. And what it, there's nothing better. Oh my gosh. So, it's the best feeling in the world. It's the best. So that ladders up into our next question. How does fierce love show up in what you do? <gasps> Oh my gosh. I don't even know how to explain it. Um, Words are hard sometimes. Words are really hard. Uh, If you saw me type out my captions, I I type out most captions like five days in advance and then edit them about 14 times before I actually put them into the, into the world. How does fierce love show up in what I do? I mean, how does it not show up in what I do? I think it shows up in, I would say for me, it shows up in in a way that nobody sees because everyone sees so much of what I do and they see so much of my life and they, they see so much of me. But what people don't readily see is how much I am constantly thinking about how I can be better for them and how I can serve them better. And like I just said, editing a caption for five days before I put it into the world to make sure that I'm going to serve all communities and I'm going to serve all people um, and that I'm being inclusive. And I think inclusivity is a massive way that I show fierce love. And I think that it's really in what people don't see. It's what goes on in my mind that is where the fierce love comes out. Um, it's, it's, it's the way that I can't even describe it right now. I think that's Mm -hmm. how fierce it is because there are no words that, that I could accurately put into place to, to describe the amount of passion and love that I have for what I do. Um, and that's connecting and creating community, uh, with women and with men, um, and allowing them to feel inspired every day. The fierce love comes comes through in um, in the places that are that are not visible. I think I think that's the best answer I can give. I like it. That's a really good one. When people are consuming social media, what are some things that you wish they could know? Like what's a filter that you wish that they were looking at their Instagram feed with? Does it bring you joy? Um, and know what joy is for you. Know what, what, write down what joy is and then, and look at your Instagram with that lens and don't, don't allow other people's versions of joy affect what yours is. I think, I think that's what I would want them to know. And, and I said it before, know that you can survive without it. Mm, So key. Okay. Quick fire questions. Favorite book. Oh, when things fall apart by Pema Chodron. 
that is one of my favorites too. The best, the best changed my life. What about favorite movie? Oh, that's really hard. But my all time favorite movie is stand by me. Uh, it's a I think it's like a 1970s movie. When you are at ease, how would you describe your personality? <laughs> um, rambunctious. When I'm really at ease, I am just a, I am a potty mouth and I am just, I am, I am on stage. That's me at ease is just being on stage wherever I am. Some advice for your younger self? Stay the course, sister. It's all going to work out. Oh, so beautiful. So how can, how can people stay in touch with you and find you? Yes, you can stay in touch with me by following me on Instagram. It's at olive.eats with three E's. So olive.eeeats. And you can also find me on my newly updated website, which may not be out just yet. I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, but um, that website is oliveeats.com. And you can connect with me there, message me, email me, get to know me, say hi. I'm here for you. And I'm just happy to have you as a part of my community. Well, I can't thank you enough because I feel seriously enlightened and I feel like you've taught me so much in the last hour that I'm going to take to my own practice and take to my teachers and have discussions about to further my my mindfulness practice. You really you really inspired me. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, well, so much love to you. I'll see you on the flip side. See you on the flip side, sister. That was Olivia Noseda. If you enjoyed our conversation or you got something out of it, please let me know. You can write a review on iTunes or reach out to me on Instagram at kate.hurley. If you're looking for a more structured routine these next few weeks, I just put together an SOS plan to help us navigate this unexpected time we're spending indoors. The SOS plan combines a series of movement and meditation classes, and the whole program is available on my app and website. Just start your free trial to begin. You can also find it at kateherley.com backslash programs backslash SOS dash plan. Until next week, loves, here's to showing up fully present now, trusting that we have the inner resources to be present no matter what.